Good morning, everybody. Um, I heard a lot of oohs there at the end there, which meant everybody caught that last piece. Um, those clips are not meant to inspire you. Please don't go out and try that this afternoon. However, the music was meant to pump you up and inspire you. A little Star Wars music in the morning is always a good thing to kind of get you going. And the reason I wanted to pump you guys up today is because you've reached the last installment of our Pride series. Yay! <laughs> I am super excited to wrap up this series today. I don't know about you, but it's not been the easiest series we've ever been through. We've kind of put our lives under a microscope. We've shined some light into some dark, dusty corners that I would much rather pretend just don't exist. Um, God has definitely spoke to me about some areas of my life where pride is taking over and I need to step in, get rid of that pride and allow God to control his areas instead in my life. And so it's not been an easy series, but it has been a fantastic series. I've been appreciative to go through this. So way to go, guys. You stuck it out with us. Now, if you're new this week, this is your first week here ever or back in a while. My name's Evan. I'm the worship leader here at Epic. And let me give you a quick recap of what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. So week one, we identified what pride looks like in our lives. We said that pride is a prison. It shuts us in. It shuts God and other people out. And we looked at some of the teachings that Jesus has about humility, what he lived out about humility. And we found that the invitation to follow Jesus in those teachings is an invitation to unfollow pride. Last week, we looked at the three Ps, power, prestige, and possessions. And we don't always feel like we have a lot of those things, but Tim did a great job of kind of looking at them at more of a global scale that we're definitely doing better than a good portion of the world. But even locally, in our schools, at home, at work, we all have a little sphere of influence, lives that we affect based on what we do, of who we are, the things that we have, the power that we wield. And we found that based on the stories of a couple of Old Testament kings, that if we don't handle those things well, they can just go away. And we repeated this phrase over and over again from the Old Testament, this phrase that was, the most high is sovereign over all nations, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And this idea that King Nebuchadnezzar just could not figure out that everything comes from God. And if we can get that into our head, if we can kind of wrap our heads around that and live that out, it allows us to have much better control over the things that God gives us as opposed to those things controlling us instead. This week, as we wrap up, we're looking at our appetite for known. Now that's a really weird little phrase, appetite for known. But we'll talk about it a little bit. Hopefully by the end of today, we can kind of see what that looks like in our lives and what we need to do about it. Now, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I have a son who turns four this week, a couple of days from now. And what I'm learning as a newer parent is that just as soon as you figure you've got everything figured out with your kids, they threw something totally new into the equation and everything you thought you know goes out the window. A few weeks ago, my son began using this phrase that I hadn't heard yet. And if you're a parent, you'll recognize it pretty quickly. I was doing my dishes after breakfast and Ephraim was playing in the living room and I hear, daddy, daddy, look at this. Daddy, watch this. Daddy, watch this. And if you're a parent, you know that that doesn't stop unless you stop. Doesn't matter what you're doing. You need to stop, put it down and go check out what's going on. And so I stopped and I go and I look and Evram does this cool little somersault in the living room. I said, hey, buddy, that's awesome. I hadn't seen it before. My wife's probably seen it a hundred times, but I haven't seen it before. 
So I was excited for him, and you did a great job. Way to go. And then I went back to my dishes. I figured we were good. No. 20 seconds later, I hear, Daddy, watch this. Daddy, come look. Daddy, watch this. And I come on out around the corner, and he does the exact same somersault again. And I tell him, good job, buddy. Way to go. That's great. Good job. And I go back to my dishes. And over the next 15 minutes, I heard it, I don't know, a half dozen times. And every single time, it was like something brand new that he wanted to be recognized for. And he uses that whether he's doing something cool like a somersault or jumping off the slide when he really shouldn't be or whether he's taking another bite of his breakfast. It doesn't matter. He wants somebody to recognize that he's doing something. We all have that wired into us. We all want to be known for something. We want somebody to recognize us for it. And in those things, we all have an audience in mind. When Ephraim was saying, hey, come check this out, he was thinking about me and what he was going to do next. In our lives, it's the exact same way. We all want to be known for something, and we want somebody, a specific audience, to know us for that thing. Now, we see this all the time in social media, right? We all want to be friended, followed, liked, and mentioned. And if you're not real sure what those terms are, check out a teenager right after service. They'll help you out. But we all want more friends. We want as many people watching what we're doing on social networks as possible. We want our posts to go through the roof with 100,000 likes, and we want to kind of go viral with whatever it is that we're doing. And we do it with the most mundane things, right? I sit down to a great meal with my wife, and what's the first thing I do is I take a picture of it. And I take that picture, and I crop it, and I adjust colors, and I put a filter on it, and I post it to Instagram because I am convinced that my audience on Instagram wants to see what I'm having for dinner that night. They don't care, right? But I'm convinced that my audience wants to know what I'm doing. And to some extent, social media turns us into four-year-olds when it comes to our lives. We want to tell everybody, hey, check out what I'm doing. Now, outside of social media, it's the exact same thing. We want to be recognized. We want to be admired. We want to be sought after. We might even want to be envied for something. We want somebody to recognize that we worked hard. Maybe there's a project at home that needs to be wrapped up, and we take care of it finally, and somebody in the house needs to recognize that we did it. At work, we stay late, we get there early, we put in the extra hours, we get that project done just in time. We want our boss to pat us on the back and say, hey, way to go, good job. I noticed that you did that. I noticed that you did it well. But something that we consider ourselves good at, we want people to come to us because we want to know that they heard about it somewhere, right? We want to go tell them, hey, I can help you out with that. Instead, it would be much better if somebody said, hey, I heard you were really good at photography. I've got some family coming into town. I'd love for you to help me out and take a few pictures for us. It feels good. And here's the thing. This is not a bad thing, all right? It's normal. It's natural. It's kind of just inside of all of us to want to be recognized, to want to be known. It has the potential to get us into trouble because it is an appetite. And appetites in our lives never really go away. We give them more, and they just get bigger. We get more friends, more followers. We want even more friends, more followers. We get good at something, and we want to be even better at that so that more and more people know that that's our thing. And the reason is, is we begin to put our self-worth, who we are as people, on those things that we're known for. And so if more and more people don't know about it, then we must not be really great people, right? Right? 
Now, you guys have been great sports in watching these balloons for the past few weeks. I know you're trying to figure out what in the world does this have to do with pride? Uh, well, for me, this visual holds true when it comes to things that we want to be known for. So when I'm prideful about something, when I'm good at something, I grab onto it and I say, okay, this is my thing, right? And it's real easy to hang on to one balloon. But all of a sudden, I want to be better known and better known for it. And I grab more and more balloons. And the next thing you know, I can't even keep track of everything because they're all tangling up, they're heading off. And even a few more isn't too bad. But if you get to the point where pride is taking over and it's telling you, you have to be good at this, you have to be known for this in order to be a decent person, then you start to look something kind of like this. All right, maybe it's not the version of Up you remember seeing. It's the version of Up I wish existed. Um, <laughs> uh, Trent comes up here and shows these amazing battle scene clips from Braveheart. I couldn't follow him up with a feel-good clip from Disney, so that's what you get. But the visual holds true, right? When we are clinging on to our pride and the things we are prideful about, we think we're in control, but in all reality, we're just in it for the ride. It's taken us off somewhere, and all we can do is hang on and hope we don't fall, because that fall is a pretty long way off. And so we have to let go of our pride. And the good thing is, our need to be known for things doesn't have to control us. So this morning, we're going to look at a guy in the New Testament who was very well known, and we're going to look at how he handled it and how that might apply to our lives. So I need your help real quick. By a show of hands, how many people have heard the name John the Baptist before? And leave them up for a second. Look around you real quick. All right, you can put your hands back down. So you'll notice almost every hand in the room was raised. We are 2,000 years past the point when John was actually walking around. And we still know who he is. So John was really well known. And the point of that is just this. We're not here this morning to figure out how not to be known for something. We're just here to figure out how to handle it so it doesn't take over our lives. Now, as we're talking about John, I'm going to be in a couple of different places in the New Testament in the Gospels of Mark. I can get all these words out this morning. Mark and John. And we're going to make sure the references are up on the screen, but don't feel like you have to try and flip through to try and follow along. You'll be able to see them on the screen. And if you grab a spiritual growth challenge on your way out or you download one this week, you'll be able to see all the references and read through them on your own because I might miss mentioning one of them here or there. So John was a guy that everybody was kind of expecting to show up. Mark chapter one talks about this prophet from the Old Testament who said, there's going to be a guy and he's the guy before the Messiah. And he's there to let you know he's coming. And then Mark one verse four, it kind of makes it feel like John shows up in this poof of smoke from Michael Bay out of the middle of nowhere. And it says, John, he was in the wilderness and preached that people could be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. And John is doing something brand new here. Up until this point, we don't have any record of anybody baptizing somebody else. You baptized yourself as kind of like a, a cleansing ritual to show that you weren't sick anymore, that you were through some sort of disease or something had changed in your life, but you didn't do that for other people. So John is doing something brand new here and it's catching attention. People are paying attention to that and they want to figure out what's going on. Verse five says, all of Judea, including all the people in Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. So thousands and thousands of people are going out to figure out what John is doing. John is extremely well known at this point. And it's not like this is a, hey, let me walk around to my corner synagogue 
and go hear the new guy talk for an hour. He's out in the wilderness, way on the outskirts of town. And so people have to walk several hours to get out there. You stand in a ridiculously large crowd, shoulder to shoulder with some people who probably haven't bathed as often as you have. And then you wait for him to talk. Then you get in line with several hundred or maybe several thousand people to get baptized. And by the time you're all done, you're out two or three days. And so people knew about John and they wanted to know what he was doing. And John was doing something new and he was preaching something new. John 1.15 says, John's message was this, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. So John is telling everybody about Jesus. From day one, that's John's message. Jesus, the guy coming after me, he's the one you wanna pay attention to. So he's got the crowd's attention and that grabs the attention of the local leadership. The Pharisees are going, who is this guy? What is he doing? How come these huge crowds are going to check him out every single day? So they send this little group of minions out to go ask John what he's up to. And they're looking for the Messiah, okay? They're not paying attention to what John's actually talking about. They're waiting for the Messiah to show up because this is the guy who's supposed to come and get them out from underneath Roman rule. So they say, hey, go ask him if he's a guy. So this little group goes out and they go talk to John and John cuts them off immediately. They start to say, hey, who are? And he says, eh, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the guy you're looking for. So it's okay, you can take it easy. They said, okay, you're not the Messiah. We can work with that. Are you this prophet we've been waiting for? They've been waiting for an Old Testament prophet, Elijah, to come back. And he says, no, I'm not the prophet either. And they say, then who the heck are you? Why are you out here? Why are you grabbing these crowds? What in the world do you have to say? And who are you that you can do this? This is John's big moment. The spotlight's on him. This is his chance to get everybody on his side. And he can sit there and go, I'm John. Wait till you see what I have to tell you. And instead, he says this, I am a voice in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. In his big moment to grab some more attention, he just says, I'm just a sign pointing you in the right direction. This has nothing to do with me. It's all about Jesus. And he goes on and he says, though my ministry, his ministry follows mine, and that's Jesus's ministry. I'm not worthy to be his slave or even to untie the straps of his sandals. You think I'm something? You think I'm drawing some big crowds? Man, wait till you see what comes next. Wait till you see the real deal. So he takes the time to tell the crowds. He takes the time to tell the leadership. He takes the time to tell his own disciples. Just like Jesus had his own group of followers that were really close to him, John had the same thing. He was a teacher doing something new and there were a bunch of people who wanted to be just like him. And so John's sitting there one day with a couple of his disciples and he's been telling them from day one, hey, this guy's coming. And Jesus walks through the crowd. And John stops and says, look, there is the Lamb of God. And in the moment, in that exact moment, John's two disciples get up and they bail. They're like, all right, you guys, it was him, I'm good. Have you ever been defriended on Facebook? You're sitting there scrolling through and a little message comes up and says, hey, do you wanna be friends with this person? And you go, I am friends with that person. I know them from high school. We connected a couple years ago. We talked about our kids. They look at what I eat for dinner every night. Of course we're friends. And you go and check their profile and no, you're not. They defriended you. And it drives us just a little bit crazy because we wanna know what we said, what we did that made them decide to go pay attention to somebody else and not listen to us anymore. 
Or on Twitter, it's a whole lot worse because there's a little number clock up on the top left that keeps a real-time list of your number of followers. And I'm on Twitter a lot, and I can't stand it when that number drops a few points because I wonder what I just said, what was my last tweet that really made somebody unhappy. So we cling to those things, and it drives us insane when they begin to go away. John's disciples, the rest of the group, were no different, right? They hear that everybody's going another direction, and they go and confront John. And in John chapter 3, verse 26, we see them go up to John, and they say, look, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, so that's Jesus, he is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John says, or John's disciples say, look, we've got a problem here. We had a really good gig. You were preaching. We had crowds showing up. We were baptizing. Everybody was really happy. And now all of a sudden, this new guy down the road is grabbing all of our attention. And we don't have nearly the following used to. John, what are you going to do about this? Now, John's response in this moment is a key to what we're talking about today. His response is what allows us to be followed by any number of people. And it doesn't go to our heads. Or on the other side of things, it allows those followers to begin to move on to something else and we're okay with it. John chapter 327 says this, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. It's such a short, tiny verse with a ridiculous amount of truth packed into it. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. John says, look guys, everything I'm known for, all my fame, all these crowds, where do you think it came from? It's all from God. And I give him credit for that. And as it begins to fade away and they move on, I give God credit for that. And I don't freak out about it. If we can wrap our heads around that idea, then we realize that every good thing that we have, every good thing in our lives, it comes from God. And God gifts us to us. He gives it as a gift for some period of time. It's temporary. Right? God asks us to be responsible for it. He doesn't expect us to have it forever. And when it starts to go away, that's when we start to kind of freak out. And we just need to remember that it comes from God. Now, if you were here last week, this sounds a little familiar because it's the message that Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get through his head. That phrase we said at the beginning, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. That same idea is what John is talking about. He goes on to say, you yourselves have plainly, I have plainly told you that I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. So from the very beginning, John says, from day one, I've been telling you this isn't about me. And then he wraps up this conversation with this little nugget of truth that puts a beautiful little bow on it. He says, he, that's Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John is not owned by his desire and his need to be known. Now, if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christ follower, these two comments, these two phrases have huge implications in your life. They have huge implications in my life. Because what it means is that everything we're known for, everything we have, it's a gift from God. And the only reason we have it is to point people to Jesus. That's 
it. I'm not known for something because I worked hard at it. I'm not known for something because it's my thing. It's not because of who I am. It's a gift from God that I need to use to point people to Jesus. We are known so that our savior may be better known. And in order for that to happen, we have to let go of our pride because our pride is what makes us grasp on to those things that we want to be known for. So like John says, we need to remember who it's from and we need to remember who it's for. So anything we have, our talents, our abilities, our intellect, our wealth, our beauty, it doesn't matter what it is. We have no control over it. You might say, I worked really hard to get to where I am in my job right now. I started at a zero position. I worked my way through and I scrimped and I saved to put away this little nest egg that I consider to be my wealth. And you did, you worked hard and you put in the hours and you kept your integrity. But where did it all start? Where did the gifts come from? It came from God. The opportunities, the drive to work hard, they all came from God. We had nothing to do with that. If we can keep this in mind, it allows God to give us a huge amount of knownness, of being known for something without it going to our heads. And when it begins to go away, it's okay. So we remember who it's from and we remember who it's for. Now, at the very beginning, I talked about Ephraim and his audience of one, me, and his somersaults. And we all have an audience in mind when we want to be known for something. We just have to remember who that audience needs to be because it affects what we do and it affects how we do it. Now, my job before here was at the sheriff's office in Volusia County. And I was part of their IT group and I was hired at a real low position. And I've only been there maybe three months or so. And my boss's boss, Tim, comes to see me. And he says, hey, look, I've got this project I need you to work on. It's a report. I need you to pull this data. I need you to analyze it. I need you to put it all together in a nice, pretty package and a spreadsheet and bring it into me. And I said, sure, no problem. That was stupid because I'd only been there three months. But I figured I could do this. I wanted to be known as the guy who could get things done. So I pour myself into it. I work hard. I put in some extra hours. I go and I get my supervisor, Todd, involved. And I say, hey, look, I just want you to look this over and make sure everything looks okay. Todd says, yeah, that looks great. So I take it into Tim's office and we sit down and Tim starts flipping through this report. And he says, okay, this looks all right. This looks okay. And then he reaches over and he grabs a red pen, which I was really sure went away after high school, but I was wrong. <laughs> and he starts destroying this report. Where'd you get this number? What's this from? Why is this here? Take this whole section out. He shreds it to pieces and I'm flipping out inside right? This is my report. Like I poured a whole bunch of time into this. I worked hard. I know the numbers are right. I know it says what it needs to say. And he gets all done rearranging things. And he says, all right, so here's the deal. I didn't want you to flip out because you're brand new with us, but this report isn't for me. It's not for our division. This report is for the county commissioner's office. Oh, okay. And people are going to keep or lose their jobs based on this report. Oh, Okay. And he says, now that you know that, I need you to go back and rework this report. So I went back and I can't tell you the hundreds of hours I then put into that single report to make sure that the data was perfect, that it was unbiased, 
that it showed exactly what they needed to see in a fairly easy way to see it, that they could repeat it, that they could use it later. And after like three or four weeks of overtime and a whole lot of new people involved because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just me getting put on the chopping block when everything was done, um, when I pulled all of it together, I had this stack like a quarter inch thick of 11 by 14 sheets of paper. I take it into Tim and we sit down. And he starts flipping through it again. He asks a couple questions, but the red pen didn't come out. So I figured it was probably okay. And he says, okay, this looks pretty good. And he puts it into a briefcase and he heads off to a meeting with the county commissioner. And the next morning, Tim comes in bright and early, says, hey, look, you did a great job. I know you worked really hard and way beyond what we should have expected of you because you're brand new with us and we're not paying you to do this sort of work. So thank you very much. Really appreciate it. You made us look good. I said, thank you. My supervisor, Todd, he couldn't tell me enough how much he appreciated the work I put into it. He could tell me, you know, that I'd learned so much and things had gone so well and it looked really good for me moving forward. And I really appreciated that. But what did I really care about? I cared about what the county commissioner thought of the report because that was my intended audience. So a couple of weeks later, I finally asked him, I said, hey, look, I haven't heard anything. How did the report go? He said, you know, it went really well. They were able to start some conversations, begin putting some policies into place based on what you put together. It was exactly what they needed to see. They really appreciate it. You did a good job. And I felt like I could finally take a breath and move on and work on the next project because I knew how the final audience felt about what I had done. Now, what if at the end of the day, we remembered who everything was for in our lives, that our intended audience isn't our boss, our coworkers, people at school, our families, our spouses, but in the long run, our intended audience is God. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. As long as we know that we took what he gave to us, we did our best with it, and that he is pleased and he approves of us. That changes things. That puts everything in a totally new light because we know that God is setting us up for a win. Pride sets us up for a fall and God is setting us up to win. We need to remember who it's from. We need to remember who it's for. One last thought and then we'll wrap up this morning. John's statement that we can receive only what God gives us from heaven. Well, here's the deal with pride is that when we're really sure that this is what we wanna be known for and we hang on to it with everything we've got, our hands are suddenly really full and it is really hard to get anything else from God. We're grasping on as tightly as we can and it hangs on to it and it takes us away. And instead, what we need to do is we need to let go. We need to let pride go in our lives and the things that we are proud of and the things we think are important. And instead, we need to know that what God has for us is what's right. That probably shouldn't go that far out. See, pride's tough to get rid of. <laughs> what God has for your life, what God has for my life is so much better than anything we could put together and we could grasp onto. 
And when we let go of pride, suddenly our hands are open and we can receive what he has for us. So this morning as we wrap up, and I want to pray for you guys, let God speak to you about that thing that you're holding on to. What is it in your life that you want to be known for? What is it that you think is really important that people know that you are good at, you are capable of, that they like you for, or they feel like they need you for? And ask God, is that from you? Or is that me grasping onto my pride? And it's something that I need to let go of. Let's pray. Father, this has been um, a tough series. We've looked at our lives and we've had to really take stock of what we are prideful about. Father God, the things in our lives that are getting out of control because pride is stepping in and making decisions where we need to trust you instead. And today, Father God, I pray that you would identify for us what we are hanging on to, what we're clinging to, the things that we want to be known for, and that you would help us to let go, to let it slip out of our hands and to be ready to receive from you exactly what you have for us, your best for our lives and the lives of the people around us. And Lord, I thank you that you step in and you do that for us as long as we're ready to surrender those things to you. So give us strength, give us courage, and Father God, let us partner together with each other because it's not an easy thing to do, that we can encourage one another, that we can help each other on, and we can be ready to battle our pride and in the long run, let everything go for you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as you head out today, we've got a balloon for you to take home, a silly little reminder that we need to let go of pride. So take that home with you. You guys have a great week. We'll see you all next Sunday. Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Sarah, and I have a few announcements for us this morning. If this is your first time with us this morning, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We would love to meet you personally and give you some information about who we are as Epic. So if this is your first Sunday, please swing by our Connection Center, and there'll be someone there to meet you after the service. Well, in a few weeks on Sunday, July 19th, we are going to be having a baptism. And the baptism is one of the fa- my favorite things that we get to do here at Epic because we get to see people who have entered into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ follow that up with being baptized. And if that's you, if you have made the decision to follow Christ but have not been baptized, I encourage you to sign up for this baptism on July 19th. You can sign up at theepicchurch.com. And if you have been baptized, still mark your calendar for July 19th, and let's go out and celebrate with those people who are making this important step in their journey. Well, this Saturday is a 4th of July parade, and we are super excited about having two floats in the parade this year. And because of your generosity, we have a lot of candy to give out. So thank you very much for bringing in candy and candy and candy these last few weeks. And remember to come out and support Epic in our community during the parade on Saturday. Well, tomorrow we have 16 students who are headed out to Surge Summer Camp. And because of your financial generosity, several of them get to go. And through your partnering with Epic Financially, you are investing in the next generation of students. So thank you for that. And if you want to continue to give to Epic and what we're doing in the community, you can do so online at theepicchurch.com or at the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections. Well, before we continue on with our service this morning, would you join me in praying for Surge and our students who are going to camp tomorrow? 
God, thank you so much for this group of students and sponsors who are going to camp. And God, I pray that this would be a life-changing experience for these students. God, I pray that this would be a time where they make pivotal decisions in their spiritual journey to follow you or to surrender new areas of their lives to you. God, would you just open up their hearts in new areas to you? And I pray that they would develop and strengthen relationships with people who would help them continue on in their spiritual journey. God, I pray for our sponsors who are going, would you give them wisdom and discernment in working with the students? And God, would you do what only you can do in the lives of our students this week? And we trust you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.